Well, uh, my name is Ben Espinoza. serve as a pastor here for another few hours. This, uh, <laughs> this morning is my last sermon. And uh, so if... A um, lot of emotions here. So, so if you're visiting and you take a liking to me, I won't be here next week, but I think you'll like the new guy even better, okay? And, uh, and before I say anything else, you know, I, uh, I know many of us are thinking about Michael Sanderson. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Mike Sanderson, or Sandoz, we affectionately called him, was a uh, longtime member here, a former elder here at the church, and he, uh, he passed away earlier this week, suddenly, and uh, it was a deep, saddening shock to us all. He was a, a great friend and brother to, to many. Part of our church family here, he's going to be deeply missed. We'll, we'll miss his passion for prayer, his, uh, his zeal for logical reasoning, and... Uh, unparalleled intelligence, and uh, what I like to call his brutal encouragement. We'll, uh, we'll miss his love for the Lord, who's more real to him now than ever. I'll miss playing golf with him. And if I may say, since this is my last sermon, he made one dynamite Long Island iced tea. It's my last sermon. I can say stuff like that. So, so for me personally, this is a goodbye sermon, but this means goodbye in more ways than one. And uh, I just encourage you all, if you knew... Michael or not, just to keep Nancy and her family in your prayers this week. So uh, I've heard plenty of goodbye sermons, and uh, they're pretty much, they pretty much all have the same elements, all right? There's a bunch of inside jokes, there's a retrospective, I learned that word this week, of one's accomplishments as a pastor. There's a retelling of some of the more humorous and sad episodes of one's time here, and plenty of tears, and I think there will be most of those this morning here. But I, like to, I don't like to think about this as a goodbye sermon, okay? I like to think about this as a see you later sermon, okay? Many of you have become our closest friends, but all of you are family. Even if this is your first Sunday here at Covenant, I still love you like family. And because you're all family, we hope that you visit often. We're going up to Michigan, and uh, we hope to visit often as well. And uh, my wife and I will only be like two hours north of here, so you can just hop in the car, hop up there. And there's an open invitation, I haven't talked to Hannah about this, but there's an open invitation to all of you to come up, stay whenever you want. Uh, We're in driving distance of some pretty cool things, some cool beaches. Um, Ann Arbor is actually halfway, great town. Um, So please, don't let this be a goodbye, but but let this be, you know, we'll we'll see you again soon, okay? That's what I want this to be. So, uh, now I was thinking about this. What does one say in a bye for now sermon? Well, I, I can't really think about my soft ending here without thinking about my hard beginning here. So when Hannah and I moved to Bowling Green, we didn't know anybody, okay? I had no job. I had no leads for a job. I had no community. I'd gone through seminary in Kentucky and spent a year working in admissions as a recruiter traveling around. And Hannah had been waiting to go to grad school herself for a couple of years. And, uh, and Hannah was accepted here to BGSU, and I was excited. So I moved up here. And, and Bowling Green had always been that place off of I-75 uh, with the big water tower and a Chipotle just off the exit. But I never thought I'd move here, okay? But God had other plans. So I moved here to Bowling Green. We just started exploring town a little bit one of those days. And I remember Hannah and I were in Grounds for Thought. And this random dude wearing a, um, this random dude talks to me. And I was wearing an Asbury Seminary t-shirt at the time. He says, you know, Asbury, I've been there before. I think I went there for a conference. And I was like, who, who are you, you know? Turns out it was Steve Risky, who's a pastor at Brookside, uh, leader at Crew for a number of years. 
So we started talking a little bit, and he asked me what kind of church I was looking for. And I said, you know, gospel-centered, good community, missional, you know, all that good stuff. He's like, well, you know, I go to Brookside, but I think you might like Covenant even better. He's a horrible salesman for his church. <laughs> I actually came across him this week, and I said, hey, I want to talk about you in my sermon a little bit. And then um, I told him what I was going to say. He's like, you know, I don't like horrible salesmen, but you can just call me a lover of the truth. If you know him, that's just how he rolls. So time came to go to a church that Sunday. I think it was, I think, July 25th, 2013, I think. And Hannah was thinking about checking out a different church. But I kept going back to Steve's recommendation. So I checked out the Covenant website. And back then, our website actually had a lion that popped up when you went there. Uh, and I thought, you know, I like lions. So I've got to check this place out. Like, like I've said before, I come across as very deep. But in reality, I'm kind of shallow sometimes. And sure enough, we came, we enjoyed the worship, and I thought, well, this seems like a church that's solid. I wouldn't mind coming back next week. And as we were walking out, Mark Eberly, love the guy, walks up to us, introduces himself to us, and we really hit it off. We had a great conversation. We loved the same authors, same theologians, same, same books. It was great. And the story goes that after Mark was done with us, he walked up to Gemma, he said, I think we found our next associate pastor. That's what he says. I don't know. I trust him, though. So we came back ne- next week, had lunch with Mark and Gemma, and, and met, met the pastor at the time, Michael Malanga. Now, let me say this. If you're new here, you have to meet Gemma, because once you meet Gemma, you don't want to go any other place, okay? Even if Covenant Church did everything poorly, the worship was awful, the preaching was awful, even if Gemma were here, you'd still want to come back next week, okay? So, so after we left our, our lunch with the Everleys and the Malangas, um, Gemma stayed back, and she said, you know... I wish there was some way you could come work at our church. And I thought, yeah, I'd really like that. I, again, I didn't know what God was doing. So I met with Pastor Michael. And he basically said, you know, Ben, I really want you to come on staff here. You know, you can do something small to start. I'd love to see you minister here at Covenant at some level. And, uh, and I knew this wouldn't be a next week kind of thing. I wouldn't just come on staff next week. I, I knew it would require me to volunteer quite a bit, earn people's trust, earn, uh, earn my spot here at Covenant. And the next week, I got a job offer from a nonprofit in Finley that would have put me on track to run the place in five years. It was a sweet deal. But I turned it down because I felt that God had something for me here at Covenant. So months passed, got to know you all, got to love you all. I started off volunteering, teaching kids theology, moved on to do youth group, moved on to retool, rethink our small groups. And I thought, you know, this is easy. I could do this. I love it. And then, as you all know, some challenging times hit, which I really don't, I don't really care to talk about right now. We saw people leave that we loved. We saw division. We saw hurt. You know, in seminary, they teach you how to conjugate verbs, but they don't teach you how to heal wounds or resolve conflict. They don't teach you how to keep the friends that you'd inadvertently hurt. It was tough. I went from volunteer youth group director, small groups guy, organizational guy, to a pastor, and then the pastor. Literally, the only full-time person on staff, and one of really only two people that work in the office. It's usually me and Veronica. So there I was, 26 years old, with only really just a couple of years of ministry experience under my belt. My main goal was to look like I knew what I was talking about. (laughs) So I started buying more sport coats. 
If you want instant credibility, go buy yourself a couple sport coats, and everyone will believe anything that you say. Get yourself a beard, too. That's a lesson I learned later. Man, a lot's happened the last year and a half, okay? I remember Greg and I were chatting over a Google Hangout at some point, and we came, came up, we defined our four core practices, you know, preaching the gospel, uh, cultivating worship, creating community, living on mission, and uh, the whole leadership team loved it. We have a Connect class. That was great. Youth group is fantastic. I love that. We read through Saturate. We tried to understand what it looks like to become a church comprised of missional communities. We have a constitution. We have a membership process. Thank you, God, we have a membership process. We have a beautiful new sanctuary. We have the most beautiful website of all churches. Our Facebook page is real life. And if you're driving up and down Haskins, you'll actually see that we're here because of a beautiful new sign. And look at all the new, new faces. Okay? So many good people here. And I'm so glad that you've chosen Covenant to be the place where you live and love like Jesus. Now let me be clear, okay? No one person can claim credit for any of these. Okay? This is all done as part of a fantastic team. But even more than that, it was God who chose to bless our church tremendously. And I consider it a genuine blessing to have been a part of something special here. One of the both joyful and sad parts of my time here was a man named Bruce. That's why I have these out here, my goodness. For those who don't, who don't know, Bruce was a member. He was an elder here for many years. And while he was abundant in humility, incredibly down to earth, he was actually one of the world's leading C.S. Lewis scholars. He and his wife left Bowling Green Uh, for Alaska six months before Hannah and I arrived. But I felt his presence, the indelible mark he left on this church. Just for instance, you know, the very fact that we have communion every single week, that was a Bruce thing. You feel his presence here. So randomly, I don't even know how it came, came up, I came in contact with him. He gave me some advice about being a pastor here at Covenant. And at the end of our three to four hour conversation, he said, you know, Ben, we'd love to have you and your wife up here in Alaska. And just like that, Hannah and I visited people we didn't even know in a place that we thought we'd never go. But that was perhaps one of the most life-giving, interesting, joyous times of my life. Bruce and I kept in touch regularly until he passed away about six months later. We were going to talk after he came back from a trip to Houston, but he never came back. I was privileged and honored to help plan and MC is memorial service. Bruce Edwards had the opportunity to share a goodbye sermon before he and Joan left for Alaska. And as I was re-listening, re-watching it for inspiration, I came across this quote from him. It's about you. And we're going to pull it up here. It says, you don't know what you have here. I've been all over the place, been in lots of churches, and you have something unique. It started before I got here. And it certainly will continue after we leave. You should treasure that and not throw it away. There will never be another church like this one. There will never be another church like this one. And he was so right. Over the past few years, you've taught Hannah and I so much. You've taught us what good community looks like. You've shown us genuine hospitality by opening up your homes and your lives to us. 
You've been vulnerable with us as we've been vulnerable with you. You show, you've shown us what love is. We've, we've fought together. We've fought each other. We've laughed. We've cried together. I'm sure we've yelled at each other every now and then. You've shown us what the body of Christ can be, and I'm ruined because of it. I'm more wise because of you. I'm more mature because of you. And honestly, I love God because, more because of you. You're beautiful. Thanks for letting me dedicate your children. Thanks for letting me baptize your, your kids. Thanks for letting me preach the gospel to you. Thanks for letting me serve and lead you. Thanks for letting me quote the Rolling Stones and the Who and Kanye West and Jay-Z in my sermons. And thank you for putting up with my love for science fiction and superhero films. But that's enough about you. That's enough about me. Because I want to talk about him. Our mission here is plain and simple. You see it right there. It's to know Jesus and make him known. This mission statement came out of years of folks thinking, you know, we need to make Jesus the center of our church. We need the church to center on Jesus. We need others to know about Jesus. And this mission statement, probably heard different renditions of it elsewhere, but it was born out of a team of people listening to God in the midst of such trying and confusing times. It's not flashy or glamorous or sexy or anything like that. It doesn't use the word missional or intentionality or communality or radical. Its aim is clear, its words are few, and its impact is unmistakable. To know Jesus and to make him known. Here at Covenant, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And if you put your faith in him, you will receive life abundant and life eternal. It's the hope that we cling to with our lives. It's this hope that drives us to love others, to serve others, to partner with God in redeeming this broken, busted world. That's good news if I've ever heard it. And it's something I'm passionate about, and it's something that I've seen that you're passionate about as well. I remember the very first sermon I preached here. It was called Christ, Unity, and Mission. I looked at Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me there. Interestingly, Bruce's last sermon here was on this very passage too. I remember when I first preached this sermon, that sermon. Never really preached to a congregation before. A lot on the line. Nervous as all get out. I didn't really know you. You didn't really know me. But I want to revisit this text because I think it highlights the majesty of the Savior that we serve and the responsibility that we have to live together in unity, in mission, and in Christ. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's a lot going on here in this passage. Paul's talking to his beloved Philippians, perhaps the first body that he ever founded. He knows that at any moment, He could be violently persecuted by the Romans. And yet his spirit is filled with joy and filled with peace. You see later that the Philippians are a divided church, which you see later in the letter. But Paul wants them to be of one mind, one heart. He wants them to lay down their selfish agendas, their their selfish desires, their pride, and adopt the mind of Jesus Christ, characterized by zealous selfless, radical, and singular concern for others. And he grounds this in what Jesus Christ has done for us. When we ponder what Jesus did for us, we normally don't think about what Jesus gave up for us. The Bible says that it's through Christ that the whole entire universe was created. That he was there helping the Father orchestrate the events of the Old Testament. That he rules and reigns over this creation with his father. This passage tells us that Jesus never had to pursue anything or defend anything. His status as the son of God has always been. And yet Christ emptied himself of some of his divine benefits. The Bible teaches us that Christ is 100% God, 100% man. And there's some mystery there. We're not going to understand it completely. But Christ emptied himself of some of his divine nature, probably his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, his omnipresence too. That's a willing sacrifice on his part. He didn't have to do it. But he did. He was born in a cave to humble parents in the middle of a bunch of smelly animals. That's not a birth of a king, folks. His whole life led up to the moment where he would lay down his life on the cross. The cross is the lowest, most degrading form of capital punishment known in human history. You're up there on a cross, nails in your hands and in your feet. And it's not the excruciating pain that kills you. It's the fact that you have to keep hoisting yourself up in order to breathe. You die from suffocation as people watch and laugh at you. For hours. The Lord through whom this whole vast, huge universe was created, who never pursued power or anything for selfish gain, dies in the most demeaning, humiliating way possible because He loved us. Now, contrast that with ourselves. We fight all the time. Right? We pursue our own selfish agendas. We fight for our pride. We defend our positions because we know that we're right. All of us seek power and security and authority for ourselves. That's why a lot of people are disappointed with politicians these days. 
Because they're mirrors in which we see who we really are. And the fact is that we have to come to terms with the fact that all that stuff that we pursue, it's fleeting, it's fickle. We hate giving up that which we can't grasp for more than a few minutes. But our Savior willingly gave up what he grasped for all eternity without any effort. What a brilliant Savior we love and serve. And Jesus came to show us a better way, to be with us, to show us what it looks like to live in his Father's kingdom, where widows and orphans are looked after, where the hungry are fed, the poor are aided, where the brokenhearted find peace and rest, and where enemies become friends. But more than that, he became one of us. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He experienced poverty and loss and joy. Otis Moss III writes that Jesus understood racial profiling, state-sponsored torture, mass incarceration, character assassination, poverty at the hands of the empire, and an intense frustration with the established religious norms of his day. You name it, Jesus experienced it. He put himself, himself in the shoes of people whose lives aren't that easy. Now contrast that with ourselves. Many times we lack empathy for people who are struggling. We don't make an effort to take the focus off of ourselves and put it onto other people. We fail to understand what people go through, what they think, how they think. And as a result, we have a hard time relating to others because, again, we're selfish. We put our needs above the needs of others. So Jesus, the Lord of the universe, becomes a human, a slave in the flesh, knows what we experience. He shows us a better way. He dies on the cross for our sins. And what does God the Father do next? He exalts the Son. But it's more intense than that. It's that he's given Jesus a name above all other names, so much so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is where most preachers will say, you know, in the end of days, everyone's whoever, everyone who has ever lived, whether they follow Jesus or not, will bow before the king. And that's true. But let me focus on the present. Everybody knows the name of Jesus, right? Frankly, everybody likes Jesus. Ask any person on the street what they think about Jesus, and the worst an intellectually honest person can say is, well, he was a great man, great message, powerful, powerful teacher. But when it comes to proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God who gave up his life so that he, we could find ours, that's where we lose people. Many times it comes down to doctrine. But I think it's even more so than doctrine. It comes to the way that we treat people. To a lot of folks, the Christian faith isn't even worth considering because of our reputation. We can be harsh. We can be prideful. People look at us and think, well, why do you guys fight all the time? Why do you guys fight us all the time? Isn't Jesus about love and compassion and peace? Sometimes those who don't know Jesus, despite the fact that they reject him, understand his message better than we do. That ought not to be so. That's why folks love Jesus and hate the church. That's why Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but not your Christians. 
Mr. Christians don't act like him. And sometimes we'll, we'll say, we'll be prideful and haughty and say, well, you can't judge Christ by his adherence, blah, blah, blah. But be like Jesus for a second. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Would you join a religion where the people didn't care for one another, didn't care for the community, and seemingly didn't even follow the core tenets of their leader? Because this is what a lot of people think about the church. We need to put aside our pride, our desire for comfort, our fascination with position, our orientation to conflict, and put on the mind of Jesus. The mind of Christ says that love is greater than hate. The mind of Christ says that each person is worthy of compassion and kindness. The mind of Christ seeks nothing for itself, but instead looks out for the good of others. If this church is to reach Bowling Green and beyond, you need to inhabit the mind of Christ. And that means true love, because everybody's watching you. They're watching to see if you're a people filled with love and with hope. They're watching to see that your love for God and for others sustains you in the midst of uncertain times. That in a world that says, look out for number one, you say, we look out for everyone. The more we love others in this church community and in the local community, the more Jesus becomes real both to us and to those people who don't know him yet. I've known so many people who have come to know Jesus by seeing the uniqueness of Christian community. The gospel doesn't become real to folks until they see the beautiful thing that Christ is making of you. The key to knowing Jesus, making him known, is love. Because that's how Jesus made himself known to us. But putting on the mind of Christ and loving others with abandon starts with the gospel. Making Jesus known begins by knowing him. The gospel is the good news that the God of the universe is restoring and redeeming this fallen creation back to himself through Jesus Christ. And if we believe in him, we can have life abundant and life eternal. The gospel says that we're restless in our hearts until we rest in him. That our purpose can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't even believe the gospel. Maybe you're still a skeptic. You've come to the right place. We want to give you hope and peace. And we believe that that's only found in finding Christ. Maybe you're here today and you believe the gospel, but it's not real to you. Let me share this encouragement with you. Preacher, I, I quoted a couple of pages back named Otis Moss III. He, he was giving some lectures at Yale Divinity School. And here's an excerpt from what his, one of his lectures says. He says, there is something called auditory neurological brainstem response. You don't have to remember that. That shows that sound has such power that it can change the way you view things. There are certain words that I could say that will release cortisol into your system, which causes stress, lowers your immune system, makes you sick. You can say somebody's name and cortisol is released. It gives new meaning to the words, you make me sick. Scientists have discovered that there are other words that will release endorphins into your system. All you have to do is say that word, and all of a sudden, your immune system is lifted up. I believe it was was a Duke University study that looked at certain words, and they were so confused because one word kept releasing more endorphins than the other words. That word is Jesus. 
Every time they said Jesus, all of a sudden, even folk who didn't believe in Jesus, they felt better from hearing the word Jesus. Because speech is power. Moses hears God. Jesus is the embodiment of God. Like I've said, we all like Jesus. And for so many people, that step from liking Jesus to loving Jesus depends on you. Sure, God will do what he will. He will draw people to himself. himself. But he demands that we follow him to the cross, denying ourselves and putting the needs of others before our own. Because like he says, the world will know that you're mine. You're, the world will know that I am real if you have love for one another. The gospel is real. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is the hope for the world. And if this world needs anything, it's good news. Shootings, racism, sexism, xenophobia, hate, war. We can be those people that speak against evil and the pain of this world and proclaim that goodness is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus alone can save us. This is a truth that my grandfather realized, that Bruce Edwards realized, that Michael Sanderson realized, and it's the gospel that this church has believed since its inception. The gospel can transform our culture, but we have to believe it and proclaim it with our lives. By doing the stuff filled with love. And these themes of community and love and the gospel, they all collide in communion. In communion, we see pure love put on display. In communion, we see the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. In communion, we join together with folks that have been transformed by the life-giving power of Jesus This isn't just a piece of bread dipped in juice. It's a celebration of how Jesus has pursued us with such abandon that he gave his life for us. It's the remembrance that Christ's death can save us. It's the reminder that his death gives us life. It's a time to reflect on the ways that we fall short and fail others, and yet Christ never does. This is a meal of hope. It's a taste of good news. It's a vivid reminder of the king we love and serve. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. And in a moment, I invite you to come to the front here. Take a piece of bread. Dip it in the cup. Reflect on how much Jesus means to you, means to us. Say his name. Love him. Be like him. Love others. That's what I have to share with you. That Jesus has a name above all names. That we'll all bow before him one day. And what does that look like right now? It looks like love. To love one another. And to love others. Because the gospel is so real and it's so powerful. That this world is just waiting for you to tell them about it. And to act like you've been changed by Jesus. So in a moment, we'll come, we'll take communion, take a piece of bread, symbolizes uh, Jesus' broken body, dip it in the cup, symbolizing Jesus' shed blood. And remember, all that Jesus has done for you, is doing for you, will do for you. If you're not a Christian, today's the day to become one because you're not going to find more life or more hope or more joy or more peace 
in anything else other than Jesus. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the message that we need to keep proclaiming with our lives, with our words. Will you stand with me as we pray?